so when we were looking to create this this class of ship, you know, um, our goal was to create something that didn't look like a cruise ship, right? That's what we stated. We wanted when when you're on board, you think you're at a beautiful resort anywhere in the world. We we didn't want these huge gaudy public rooms. We didn't want these you know these over the top plastic decorations. We wanted to create something that was really upscale, and we challenged in Cantieri. You know, give us a design that does that, and they came back. You know wasn't exactly this when they first came back, but something like this that we refined over the uh, uh, the design and building phase, and we were really impressed. We said, yeah, we, we can do this now, go make it happen. And, and I have to tell you, you know, um, first off, they were great partners throughout, and we worked very, very closely with them. The entire, the entire Italian government is supportive of the efforts, which obviously makes it much easier for us. Of course, we had some challenges over the two years. Uh, you know, uh, Venice, or the Venice region where the ship is being built, was ground zero for the pandemic back in March and April of 2020. But they, they only closed the shipyard for six weeks, which we thought was amazing. Uh, and, and then got right back to work. They had a very aggressive testing and masking program for their workers. And, and considering all the global supply chain challenges, I mean, you can imagine what goes in to creating a ship like this. You know, I'll start with like, where do you get the steel? Well, they got all their steel from the Mariupol plant in Ukraine. Well, that isn't happening, unfortunately. I mean, my heart goes out. I, I don't need to make any light of it at all. My heart goes out to the Ukrainian people and, and the terrible aggression that's happening there. I, I, I pray that it ends soon. I, I, I genuinely do. But from a business perspective, they then had to start sourcing steel from other locations, from Brazil, South Korea. And it's been a challenge. And that's just on one thing, steel. I mean, it, it impacted many, many other things. You know, a lot of the components for the ship are made in Romania, right on the border with Ukraine. So there's been some challenges there as well with workers and supplies, because they, they were getting their supplies through the Black Sea into the Romanian ports, not the Ukrainian ports. So, you know, I, I can go on and on about the challenges, yet still, yet still, this ship is 99.99%, no, nothing ever gets to 100, 99.99% of what we envisioned. Um, it was just a few days late, but considering those challenges that I just mentioned, we think that's an enormous feat. And I can't credit Finn Cantieri enough for, obviously there's some hardworking people on our side too that I give credit to, but I give credit to Finn Cantieri for the wonderful work they did. I, I'll, I'll, I think the, um, there's a short answer and a medium answer, and I'm not gonna give you the long answer. Um, the short answer, I'll start with Viva. Viva delivers the next, um, uh, July, uh, early August, or August, right, next, or, um, early August, she's going to be very similar to this ship, very, very similar to this ship. But I think from number three forward, I really got to be careful, because I know what the name for number three is, and you don't. Uh, <laughs> for number three forward, there'll be changes, but we are committed to this premium, elegant footprint. So I don't think, like, you know, if this room got a little bit bigger, and I'm not saying it is, but as an example, it might get bigger by 10 or 15%. We're not gonna triple the size of a room like this. I, I, I think on the racetracks, um, I don't expect the racetrack to be a four-level racetrack if that's what you're asking and things like that. So I, I think the bones will be essentially the same because we think it's a really, really good platform, but there'll be some, some, some nice changes. Um, I, I can tell you that number three and number four will not be able to use LNG because they're too far along in the developmental process. But we're currently undertaking a study for five and six to look at, at different fuel sources. I don't know that LNG is the answer. 
Uh, um, you know, we're, we're literally studying it as we speak. There, there are challenges with LNG. It's still a fossil fuel. It's still uh, difficult to make on a sustainable basis, although we, we hear you know, that, that, that there's potential for ELNG, you know, um, environmentally sourced LNG. But there's other sustainable fuels out there. For example, we, we announced, I think it was a few months back, that we, we joined the Methanol Institute to look if there's a, um, 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 a possibility for that. I actually have a call tomorrow with a consultant on board the ship to look at the potential for hydrogen and fuel cells. So we are, we're actively involved. I make no commitments for five and six. All I can tell you is that we're actively studying what we can do in five and six. You know, we, we've made a commitment to be zero uh, uh, greenhouse gas, not just carbon, but zero greenhouse gas um, in, um, in 2050, in 27 years. But not just, you know, we're gonna do what we're gonna do and then in 2049 do this. Actually have sustainable, meetable goals, measurable scientific-based, science-based goals uh, on an annual basis to see that reduction so that we can see that. I can tell you, we, we meet regularly about it. We're gonna invest significant capex in an existing fleet, but ultimately the real solution is finding a environmentally friendly um, alternative fuel. Because you know we, we, we can use existing technology to, re to reduce our footprint by 15, 20%, and we are and will, but long term is we need a sustainable fuel source, and we're gonna work very closely. We're gonna do our best to partner with the other large shipping companies and other cruise lines, because so I think there is a little bit of benefit in numbers there. Hard for us to do that alone, but we're, we are 100% committed to making this happen. Um, so what we saw, and, and you know, in, in hindsight, it's like one of those aha moments that when we restarted, our ships were maybe 60, 50, 60% full, but we had crewed them at 90%, right? And we saw this interesting phenomena that when, when we had almost all the crew on, but only 60% of the passengers on, the guests had a better experience. And you're going to say, well, that's obvious. Um, okay, maybe so in hindsight. Um, and we said, okay, well, can... What can we do to continue that magic, so to speak, once the ships get to 100% full, which they're already started. You know, our, our ships that are close to home in the U.S. and the Caribbean out of Port Canaveral, Miami, New York, are, are pretty much running now with 100% full um, um, over the summertime. Um, and we said, gee, this is really easy. Let's just add another, you know, 10, 15 waiters, some more bartenders, a few more cabin stewards, and we can see whether that, you know, it's an investment, you know, and I'll tell you, the, obviously there's an investment in, in, in salaries, travel for the crew, which we gladly make. The larger investment, if you think about this economically, is taking a passenger cabin out of inventory, right? Because, you know, passenger cabins are what we need to generate revenue in business, right? Um, but we, we did the calculus and we said, this is worth it. We're going to give this a shot. So starting in, in October, which is when, you know, we broadly think, you know, the ships will start regularly approaching 100%, at least in our in our non-exotic trades, uh, uh, that we're gonna start increasing staff, and we hope by January, we will have this new higher staff level across all 18 ships in our fleet by then, and we're gonna see how it goes. You know, and like with everything else, we're gonna constantly evolve and innovate, and if we need more staff, we'll put on more staff. If it works just fine with this new elevated level, that's great too. You know, our goal, you know, simply put, is to provide outstanding guests, uh, outstanding vacations to our guests. You know, we, we have three key measurements, right, that we look at. You know, we have a guest satisfaction score. Uh, um, um, we know how much they spend on board the ship. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the more they spend, the better time they have. And we know how often they come back, right? And these are three uh, things that we track very, very closely. And when we hit the trifecta, it's magic.
You know, we um, we work very closely with with some of the larger investment banks uh, in the United States. Actually, they're worldwide investment banks to give us you know uh, predictions for the future. And um, we just had our last board meeting um, a couple of weeks ago. We had Goldman Sachs in. Uh, they think the inflation is going to calm down. They think it's a, a short-term phenomenon, you know, combination of factors. I'm not an economist, so I will. That's a lot. I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to go through all of it. But but they believe it's a short-lived phenomenon that things will start returning back to normal as soon as Q4. And in fact, in the United States, I think we saw uh, um, negative inflation on the per, on the wholesale side last month. The last month, statistics was uh, was offered. So hopefully, that's uh, that's a sign. We see fuel prices starting to come down actually quite dramatically over the last. Uh, four to six weeks, if I remember correctly. Um, so we really think it's a short-term phenomenon. Uh, we're, we're not assuming a huge inflationary number as part of our future pricing or planning. Um, we'll see what happens, uh, but I don't think it's a long-term issue. I, I think the central banks around the world are putting in a, a pretty good concerted effort to uh, you know, try to slow down inflation while not sending the uh, 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 the world into recession. The employment market continues to look outstanding. You know, most of the markets that we uh, that we source our guests from. So, you know, knock on wood, things are looking very good for 2020. The back half, well, the back quarter, I should say, the last quarter of 22 and into 23. Uh, you know, we continue to be at a record book position for 23. Record prices, record load factors. Uh, so, we're very, very optimistic about the future. Hi, I'm Natalie from Travel Weekly in the UK, Travel Trade Publication. Hi. Um, after a difficult few years, a number of other um, other people in the cruise industry are starting to say that the sector is heading towards its best year ever. I mean, do you agree with that statement? And you know, you're saying you're nearly back to, to 2019 levels. You know, when do you think you'll start breaking records from NCL's side? Thank you. Great question. Um, so uh, the comment I made was that the trade community was nearly back to 2019 levels, but our overall business actually is higher now than it was. So if you know, about three weeks ago, August 8th, I think, we made the announcement that we, we would allow unvaccinated guests on board the ship. I think that was that was long awaited and, and the right timing. You know, we wanted to wait until the, uh, uh, the public health uh, situation uh, was in a place that we can do this. And since then, for these last three weeks, our bookings for 2022 are actually higher than the same weeks in 2019 uh, across all three of our brands by a measurable amount. So we are very, very pleased with the trajectory. Now, I've learned better than to predict the future, so I'm not gonna make any definitive statements here, but if current trends continue, 2023 will absolutely be a record year. But with the caveat, if current trends continue, it looks good, we're hopeful, we're gonna knock on wood or whatever material this is, uh, and, and we look forward to a really good future. You know, th there's a couple of, of things, you know, Frank talked yesterday at the um, at the christening about this uh, pent-up demand for travel, or some people call it revenge travel. I don't think it's revenge, I don't think we're getting back at anyone, but I, I think people really enjoy these interactions. I think, you know, it was interesting to stay at home and people go, well, maybe this isn't so bad, and then they go out in the future and they go, oh, no, I really missed going out. Uh, uh, um, I know I did, uh, um, and, and of course many of our guests did. You know, and it's interesting, you know, some of our more loyal guests, now I'm pen pals with maybe 20 or 30 of our top past guests. You know, these are guests that maybe used to cruise once or twice a year. They're literally going every month now. 
which is like incredible. Like they actually get to the ships more often than I do. Uh, um, I'm a little jealous. Uh, I decided the day job, they don't. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, it's really great to see. And then also, you know, we talk about experiences versus things that people are looking for experiences. And, you know, maybe, maybe this whole social media, I shouldn't call it a phenomenon, it's real. You know, this whole social media movement where people like to post things online. Well, isn't it super cool to post things online from, you know, from Jerusalem or Mykonos or Reykjavik? Yes, uh, some of the wonderful places we go to. I think we visit over 400 uh, destinations uh, around the world. So if you're gonna go make a TikTok, like do it right. Don't do it in your garage. I would say, I'll try to take them one at a time. You know, universally what we found, and I think this applies to pretty much every market in the world, that the further a guest travels, um, the more they value the vacation. And when a guest values the vacation more, they, they are willing to pay more for it, both in terms of the ticket price and then when they're on board, in terms of the activities they do on board the ship. So if someone you know, packs their bag and drives to the port, and that doesn't really matter whether it's Sydney, Southampton, or Miami, it's sort of universal, those, those guests are willing to pay less, they book closer in, and once they get on board, they don't spend very much money. Um, and the, you know, the converse is, you know, we, we have this interesting statistic that the more a guest spends, the higher guest satisfaction they have, and the more likely they are to return. They have the highest repeat rate of any of our guests. And you, you know, you can imagine if you're sitting in a, an inside cabin, I, I like to tell the story, and you don't book any shore excursions, and you don't get our creatine package, and, and you, don't, uh, um, you don't do any of the onboard activities, you really got us, but do it a lousy vacation. Uh, um, and, and if a guest goes into the haven and takes our shore excursion and takes our free at sea package and really enjoys the trip, yes, they spend a little bit more money, but they've really had a great vacation experience. They come back, they tell other friends, their friends then come, and they, and they repeat over and over. And it's not just the highest past guest rate, but the highest referral rate as well. Um, we like to market to those guests. We want happy guests, and happy guests are guests that have a wonderful vacation experience. You know, in terms of Greece, listen, our guests that we source from around the world, you know, the United States, Europe, you know, Australia, the, the, the regions that we get most of our guests from, love Greece. So, you know, in a typical summer, we have a ship out of Sidibekia that goes down to Santorini and um, uh, Nikonos. We have a ship out of Trieste that goes and visits Greek Isles. We have a ship home port in Athens. I think that was the second part of your second question, which we'll continue to do uh, for a very, very long season. I mean, starting like in late March or early April, going straight through November, doing a lot of cruises, some round trip Athens, some Athens Istanbuls, some longer Athens that visit Israel and Egypt. So we, we are huge fans of the area. I think the Greek government has done a fantastic job um, in, in marketing their brand, so to speak. Uh, obviously, they're also beautiful islands. I've, I've been there, I think I, I go there, other than the year of COVID, I, I think I get there every year uh, in some way, shape, or form, including when we restarted out of Greece. In uh, July 19th of, of last year, I was on that ship and we visited Rhodes and Crete and a few other places I, I, I forget, uh, but, but all beautiful places as well. And, and we continue, uh, we will continue to have Greece and the Greek Isles uh, a large part of our deployment plans for Europe going forward, at least three, four ships there um, every summer. In terms of homeporting in Australia, you know, 
There, it's a specific, unique issue that is just to cities. This wouldn't really uh, apply to anyone else, where you have um, only one birth. I mean, I, I don't know of any major port in the world that only has one. I'm sure there's some, but they don't, one doesn't immediately come to mind. I mean, you know, we talked about Athens. I think you can certainly get multiple ships there. You can get multiple ships in Southampton, multiple ships in Miami, you know, multiple ships in Cittadecchia and Barcelona, you know, in pretty much every major port around the world. Sydney only allows one ship in, and, and you know, the, 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 the people that have been there for 20 years, you know, tend to monopolize that space. So we have to send a ship that can fit under the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I think we only have three of them in the fleet, um, so we take the Spirit down there because she's the nicest of the three. We recently spent, you know, over 160 million U.S. refurbishing her, so she's absolutely magnificent, and we homeport that ship there. Uh, but I, I know Steve O'Dell was on Cruise 360 last week, and, and he made a uh, an impassioned plea uh, for the Sydney government now that the pandemic is hopefully behind us, you know, to reconsider uh, alternatives. I think he liked the one in. I'm not going to pronounce it right. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, uh, as as an option, but but quite frankly, you know, Steve and I have an ongoing joke in private. Want to share that? No, it's, it's I'm not sure what the that, joke that, is. That, <laughs> that, 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 that we're going to be we're, we're both going to be old men in wheelchairs by the time the uh, the Australian government gets their act together to make that happen. And I don't mean to disparage anyone. I just I'm not sure there's a political will there to do something that's meaningful for the industry. Unfortunately. So until that happens, hard to do more, but we are committed to the market, both as a sourcing market, we get fantastic guests. You know, if you go back to my initial comments about guests traveling being good guests, well, if you live in Australia, you're used to traveling. Uh, you know, we have some people from Australia, well, including you, right on this ship. This was, uh, this was a little bit of a trip and really a beautiful location in, in, in Reykjavik and, and plus the other places we're going to be seeing. Uh, so we're super committed to the market. It's one of our highest growing, one of our best markets and considering the population of Australia, the fact that we generate nearly as much revenue from Australia as we do, for example, from the UK, which I, I think is a, a much, and I don't know what the population uh, is. Yeah, I was gonna say three X, yeah. Uh, um, hard to remember every statistic. Uh, I, I think is a testament to how well our product is received uh, and the traveling habits of the Australian um, um, community. And we're also committed to having the spirit there uh, home porting in, in your summers, the, the north and winters. Uh, plus, we will have one to two ships in Asia, which is a little bit closer to home for the Australian market as well on a go-forward basis. So um, the Australian market was a really great market for us 2017-18-19. I mean, it was, uh, again, considering the size of the population, I think there's 9 million people in Israel, um, it was a top 10 uh, international market for us. I mean, worldwide, which is phenomenal. Um, Israel took a little harder hit during these last two years than some other markets specifically in the trade community. You know, we've seen challenges in the trade community because the trade community is a lot of, um, you know, smaller companies that, that some of them didn't have uh, access to capital markets and things like that during the pandemic uh, and, and seen a, a, a somewhat of a shrinkage. Um, in many markets, we've now seen that started to come back. In fact, um, in, in some of our main markets like the US and the UK, we're almost back to the levels we had in 2019, which we think is fantastic. Israel took a little harder hit, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the economic policies of the various prime ministers. You guys change off in there uh, uh, um, on, on what you did to support the trade or not, and I'm, I'm not here to comment on that. But the end result of that is the travel agency community fell much more dramatically in Israel than in some other places. 
Um, now, we've seen it start to pick up now, just like in other places of the world, but I think Israel's going to have a little bit of a steeper curve because they came down a little bit further. So we're optimistic. We're fully committed to the market. You know, we have uh, Nick, who looks over Israel and some of our other Middle Eastern markets. You know him well. Um, he's there all the time. He does a fantastic job for us. I think he's there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> he says shalom. Uh, 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 I think that's the only word of Hebrew he knows. Uh, and and, and we, we continue to commit and we did not remove any resources. We will continue to support the trade community there and do everything in our power to get that back up. We're committed to get Israel back up to be a top 10 market, which we'll get to maybe next year. Absolutely. Nick, says, Nick said absolutely. I take him at his word. Now, in terms of homeporting, we actually have. The Epic, right, Nick? The Epic is going to be doing a, doing a turn in, in Haifa later. I, our ship operations team doesn't know that yet, uh, but we're going to do our best to uh, to make a go of it. We're going to continue to include uh, Israel in a lot of our cruises, um, mainly out of uh, out of Athens and Istanbul. It's a it's a great product for our guests to uh, visit. You know, not so much in July and August because you might not know that, but it's super hot there in July and August. But, but we go there a lot in you know April, May, early June, and then again in September and October, you know, around the holidays, uh, uh, or avoiding the holidays, I should say. But it's a popular market for our, our consumers, and we'll continue to go there. We really haven't seen a dramatic shift in guest expectations. You know, pre-pandemic, um, you know, I like to say that perhaps my 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 my, my biggest biggest learning, having run the international markets for all three of our brands for many years, I think we did that for for four years, four plus years, is that for the most part, people around the world are very very similar. You know, they 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 you know at least the middle class, lower upper class, you know, they work hard, uh, they have families, and they want to take a few weeks every year to spend time with their families and friends and do something fun and enjoyable, take a break from their everyday life. And, and I'll tell you whether it's a, an Asian, an Australian, an American, a Brit, a European, a, a Brazilian, a Mexican, uh, uh, you, we pretty much, it's pretty much the same. Work hard, you know, earn money, pay your bills, live, and then take a few weeks a year to really enjoy yourself and do something special with your friends and family. And, and the Asian consumers that I've spoken to, that I've met in my travels, uh, are, are the same, are the same. You know, perhaps they have slightly different tastes in where they want to travel and, and food choices and things like that, but that general premise um, remains. So we're off to do that. We want to provide the Asian consumers in the same way we provide consumers from all over the world with that type of experience. Now there's a few unique things, you know, Asian consumers have slightly different culinary tastes and we try to have so many different food options on board that no matter where you come from, you'll have something that you'll enjoy eating. Uh, we, we try to provide, you know, a, a broad variety of itineraries. So, you know, our cruises in Asia are not geared to Asians. Our cruises in Asia are geared for non-Asians, but our cruises in Europe and the United States and other places of the world are geared towards Asians where they get in an airplane and they fly long distances to have wonderful vacations. So, you know, we get really, really good participation in Europe, probably our number one destination for Asians, uh, but also quite a few go to um, Alaska. Uh, uh, it's a really beautiful place, and they're like four or five times, maybe like more like a dozen times already, uh, uh, and every time I go, it's, it's, it's simply breathtaking. Um, and, you know, specific from Japan, they, they really enjoy going to Hawaii. And, of course, you know, we have the only product there that, that operates 52 weeks a year, you know, port every day. It's uh, a, a wonderful way to see the island, and, and the Japanese uh, seem to enjoy that as well. We are committed, we are committed to having a Prima class ship based in Southampton, as this one will be next year. 
uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think we've already announced our plans for 24, 23 first, and 24, and in both years, there's a premier class ship. I think I know what we're gonna do in 25, although we're not publishing that till November, and I'm pretty sure that we'll have a premier class ship here in 25. My, my crystal ball doesn't go past that. Uh, uh, but it's a very good market for us. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, consistent with the comments I made earlier, our goal is not to attract UK consumers to that cruise. Our goal is to attract, now there will be some UK consumers, I don't want to say that we don't want them, of course we want UK consumers, but I, I don't think they'll ever make up more than 10% of the passenger complement for a cruise like that. We are attracting people from Asia, Australia, the United States, the Middle East, the rest of Europe, Canada, by miss anyone, I apologize in advance, I wasn't meaning to exclude anyone, you know, to fly into London or to fly into Reykjavik uh, and, and take the cruise, you know, in one direction or the other. It's a beautiful itinerary. You know, in terms of the UK market, I think, uh, uh, you know, Eamon had been running the UK market for us for a while prior to him taking on the mandate for all international. He did a really amazing job for us, um, you know, growing the market. I think now we're we're, 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 we're better than 19 levels, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're now at levels higher than 19 in the UK market, similar to the comment I made about the brand overall for, for quite some time now, for a few months already. Uh, and we continue, continue to see huge potential. I mean, it's our largest, um, well, I guess, I guess there's you know the United States, Canada, so UK is market number three for us. Uh, uh, and we're very, very happy. We, we recently hired, well, it's been a few months now, Gary, I forget Gary, yeah, where's Gary? He decided not to come. Uh, 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 we invited. Uh, uh, What's his last name again? Ainslow. Yeah, I can't pronounce that. Ainslow. Ainslow. Gary Ainslow. We just call. Him, I just call him Gary. Uh, uh, to look over the market for us, and, and he's uh, under uh, under Eamon's, uh direction. Has done a nice job picking up where Eamon left off. So South Africa was another one of those markets similar to Israel that was an overachiever for us uh, coming into COVID. Uh, and, and, you know, they had slightly different challenges. You know, they had trade challenges the same as everywhere else, not quite as dramatically as Israel. Their challenge more was um, they were treated a little bit differently, in my mind, unfairly. You know, that there were travel restrictions for South Africa citizens a little bit more than other places around the world. That's now gone, but because of that, South Africa saw a, a little further dip in business, uh, but is now coming back. I mean, I've, I've been to South Africa myself, but we have some really great trade partners there that are, are huge supporters of us that are now starting to rebuild again. We're seeing the business starting to come back, and we're very, very excited. In terms of a, of a destination, because you told me I have to make this super quick, we, we, we take a ship, to run South Africa cruises every year in South Africa's summer, the, I'm sorry, South Africa's summer, which is the north, the northern winters. We will continue to do that for this sum, this this summer, next summer, the summer after. And we reduce when we send out our 24, 25 itineraries. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a ship there then too. So we will have a ship there, uh, usually out of Cape Town. Do some cruises around Mauritius, you know, in that general area for many, many years to come. We're very happy with those itineraries. Really, really was um, saddened when we had to send the crew home. I mean, it was a tremendous challenge back in, I remember we, we shut down March 13th, 2020. I, re I remember the date. I think it will always be seared in my mind uh, that, that we made the decision and we immediately ceased operation. And you know, our first thing was to get guests home, which took us like over a week, right? Because some of the ships were in remote places. We had one ship in the South Pacific at the time, and it was very difficult. Like we did like a big U-turn in 
finally wound up going to let the guests off in Hawaii. I, I was very thankful to the Hawaii governor for allowing us to debark, you know, guests. It was late March by then. And then, you know, we have 30-something thousand crew that we had to get home. And, and, you know, at least with the guests, you know, there's like five or six countries where most of them come from. The crew we sourced from 70, 80 countries around the world. It was a real challenge. And it took us, I think, a full three months so we were able to repatriate all the guests home. It was uh, a huge challenge, a huge expense, but obviously we had to do it. You know, the crew is the lifeblood of the company. Um, on the corporate side, we obviously sent everyone home. I, I'll tell you, you know, Zoom on the one side is a miracle, uh, because if you think something like this would have happened 10 years ago, there would be no way that we would have connected at the level we did, but it's also a curse because people think, okay, Zoom is the new thing. It's not. Zoom does not replace this type of person-to-person -person interaction. It can't. The, you know, the casual conversations you have in the hallway, the, 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 the conversations you have over a meal, the extended things. Zoom is good for a transaction. Zoom is not good for a relationship. And we are in the relationship business. Uh, we, 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 are, we love to innovate. We love to move forward. It's hard to innovate on Zoom. So I'm respectful. I, I, again, it's a bit of a miracle because I think without Zoom, it would have been really challenging those first few months. But when we decided to put the ships back in the water to resume operations last July, we also returned everyone back to the office. And we've been now in the office for 13 months. And it works. It works, you know, at first. Everyone was masked, and we tested them once a week, and ultimately we um, um, we loosened things up as we can, and now people just come. We have everyone in the office, um, and it's it's almost like the old days, almost like but better, almost like the old days but better. So I just want to start out by saying on the trade, you know, we don't we don't break out specific numbers, but I I'd rather talk in principles anyway. We can't win without trade support, you know. So I, I think we're reasonably good marketers, and, and obviously we do take some direct sales. But we have a community of thousands of travel agents throughout the world, uh, really, really smart, accomplished business people that have unique business models to drive bookings to us. And and, and you know the ones that we partner with. I mean, we probably have. You know, probably about 100 to 150 that we have deep partnership with, that we work with, you know, day in and day out. Oh, it's probably 150 in the U.S. Probably worldwide, it's probably closer to three to 400, I should say. So let's just say three to 400 travel agencies worldwide that we partner with day in and day out. Many of them are on this cruise ship right now. Pretty much all of them, actually, um, to, uh, to 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 drive consumer demand because ultimately that's what it's about: driving consumer demand to sell cruises. And, and I, I can say without hesitation, without caveat uh, uh, whatsoever, that they are a cornerstone to the success of this company. We couldn't do it without them.